Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers, with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kirk Damon. Today's episode is sponsored by Tangina Barons and Associates Television Repair. We know how to get through the static. And welcome back at long last to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy Season 2. Season 2! Season 2 is here, appropriately recovering sequels and reboots. I am your host, Ben Siders, here with the other guy, Kirk Damon. That's Kirk, as in the captain of the Enterprise, as always, even in Season (laughs) 2. For those of you who are new, uh, we are intellectual property attorneys and certified geeks practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri. And you can find more about this podcast on Twitter at LGGpod. I am at Benjamin Siders, and Kirk is at Kirk DMN. More importantly, we're back. We're back. Um, you know, definitely we, we want to sort of do a shout out to hopefully all of our loyal listeners, hopefully many of whom are still listening and have not deleted their podcasts because of our long break. Um, for those of you who are new, we did have a relatively long break, um, but go back and review the old catalog. The old catalog is really fun. Um, we refer to it frequently. We refer to it frequently and, and uh, things along those lines because of the fact that we think it has good content in it. But I think we need to start this episode and we need to discuss our season two before we get into some of the interesting issues related to season twos. Yeah, there's we, we had a bit of a longer layoff than anticipated. If any of you follow us on the social medias, you'll know that we announced in July we were going to take a hiatus in August, which turned into a hiatus in September, yeah. which turned into a hiatus in the first half of October. Uh, but we're back now, and we've got uh, a couple of, I don't know, structural maybe changes, yep. scheduling changes, production changes. To it's worth, it's worth pointing out. With it, you know, We have this long Longer left than we anticipated, partially because we both got just super busy and couldn't make it into the studio. Um, but a lot of it was also as we were sort of looking at what we were doing in the podcast, what we were hearing back from fans. Um, there were some changes we thought we potentially needed to make, and we needed to figure out how to incorporate those. Yeah. So number one, we're switching from going every two weeks to every three weeks. But we've heard you that you like the longer format, so you're going to have fewer episodes but longer episodes. Yep. And that was far one of the key things we definitely saw. People seem to like the longer episodes. Um, but the, the issue we bumped into is for us to do longer episodes, we have to basically record them you know, fewer times. And it takes a little more preparation, yeah. and, and contrary to, to how it may sound, we're not actually robots and can't just churn out endless content <laughs> on demand. We can turn out endless conversation, whether yeah. or not it's anything you guys would want to listen to. Yeah, we can talk issue. forever, but that's not what you're here for. Um, so you're getting an episode today, today being uh, October 22nd, if you're tuning in when this drops. And then the next one is, I think, uh, November 12th and December 3rd and so on. And we may occasionally pop in for special one-off episodes yep. as needed, but since there's no new Star Wars content coming out for <laughs> over a year, there's really no urgency. I think that's another thing of focus uh, as to what we have with it. There was a lot of comment about the fact that we were very focused on Star Wars. Why wouldn't um, we be? And, and we definitely are just because I think we're both very much Star Wars geeks. But one of the comments we've also had is to try to focus on other sci-fi content, other geek content. Yep. That's something we are also definitely going to work on, and that's part of the reason why we also think the longer format yep. will be better. It allows us to spend a little more time to research things, to go see movies we may want to see. That's proven to be difficult. Like, I I was looking through what's gone on since the last time we recorded and how many movies have come out, and I'm, like, making a list of what I've seen so we can kind of talk about it, so we can compare notes. I'm like, I've hardly seen anything. I still haven't seen Infinity War. (laughs) As bad as it is, I haven't seen Infinity War either, and just, you know, for spoiler purposes, don't worry about spoiling it for me. I already know all the spoilers. Um, You can't avoid it at this point. But it's also one of those, and I think that, again, as we're going to talk about sequels and reboots here in conjunction with it, 
I'm kind of unique in the fact that spoilers don't bother me for they the most part. They don't usually bother me either. Um, you know, I'll try to avoid them a lot of times just because I like to have surprises, but knowing what it is is, is interesting. And I comment about it. It's one of the things I used to do as a kid. I actually used to regularly read the last page of a book before I read the book. <laughs> and, and the reason I do it is because it was the, the curiosity was, how are we going to get yeah. there? Well, you know, and I, I I used to do that too. And interestingly, it didn't actually spoil the book because by the time I got through it, I'd forgotten what I'd read from before. Yeah, you know, or it didn't make any sense. And really, with movies too, I don't know if you you guys are all like this, but you know, so m- my wife and I saw that movie Skyscraper with with Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> we just lot. needed something to go see on date night. Nothing else. Well, was you have out. to face the fact that any Dwayne Johnson movie is good entertainment. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll go see any any movie with The Rock just because it's got The Rock. But you know, we're, we're sitting down to watch it, and I mean, beat for beat, I can predict what's going to happen in this movie. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it doesn't make it a bad movie. It's plenty entertaining. It was sort of an homage to Die Hard. Um, but, I mean, there, there's no spoilers. I, I mean, you know exactly how the movie is going to end. Now, Star Wars is a little different. Um, but even then, you know, a, a lot of what, although, well, I take that back. Like, the end of The Last Jedi... I didn't really see that coming. The, the <laughs> any thing. Saw, I don't think any of us saw the last like, Jedi coming at all. the heck out of it. And I'm like, oh, he's not really there. Um, so anyway, we've also heard you guys tell us that you'd like to hear more of our thoughts on just nerd stuff generally. Um, you seem to like our, our book and movie recommendations and thoughts. So we'll try and just kind of talk a little bit more about those things. And the other comment I got uh, from a couple people is, y'all really liked the discussion of current ongoing disputes involving uh, you know, geek properties, for lack of a better term. Uh, in particular, I had, I had several people say they thought the discussion of the Sabak uh, dispute between uh, the Kickstarter guy and, and uh, Disney was fascinating. So yep. we'll try and keep tabs on some of those things and provide updates over the, over the course of the year. But you need to be forewarned that civil litigation, even in federal court, can, can move at a pretty glacial pace. So yeah. that may not be a whole lot to talk about. And, it's, and again, even if we talk about it, we may talk about hey, this interesting case was filed, that may very well be that a decision is obtained in three years. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah, entirely possible. And uh, the last thing is, we uh, Kirk's got a lead on a potential guest um, that we'll talk about towards the end of the podcast. Uh, we, we, can't, we cannot give his name because he's not confirmed yet. We don't want to get people too excited, but um, he's a very accomplished uh, law professor that will uh, be interesting to have here. So, uh, so today's episode, Kirk, appropriately... Actually, we should mention AIPLA because that's coming out this week. So uh, if any of you are going to AIPLA, Kirk, why don't you tell the people what that is? Yeah, so just generally, uh, for those of you who probably know, uh, anybody who's not lawyers, um, lawyers have all these things that are basically bar associations, which is essentially what lawyers go and hang out with other lawyers. The big one for anybody who's an intellectual property lawyer, IP lawyer, um, is essentially to the American Bar Association's IPL section, intellectual property law section, or the one that sort of dedicated itself to IP law, which is the American Intellectual Property Law Association. Uh, now, obviously, if you're outside the U.S., um, you know that's primarily American. Though it's a very international. Yeah, lots group of foreign counsel come to these anyway. Yeah, a lot of foreign counsel come. A lot of people come um, to see what it is. But definitely, it's it's very focused on you know American practice, if nothing else. But AIPLA um, has three meetings a year. I've been very involved with AIPLA since pretty much 2001. Um, I've been a committee chair, a committee vice chair. Um, I'm actually becoming a committee vice chair again um, at this current upcoming AIPLA. Actually, which committee I previously chaired. Which committee? Um, it's t- Committee on Emerging Technologies. Right. Um, and just to give you the idea, again, this is a lot of you know patent lawyers effectively and trademark lawyers and some copyright lawyers geeking out about IP law at these things. So we talk about all sorts of crazy things. What we do as Emerging Technologies is we try to actually identify Identify technologies that we think are going to be the interesting patent, trademark, and copyright questions two or three years from now. So to use the example, I've had a number of people come to me and say, oh, you guys should do a presentation on 3D printing. 
And that's I'm old like, school. Yeah, that's old school. We actually did a presentation on 3D printing five years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, so our current presentations, like a lot of what we've been doing, we did a large presentation on neural networks and AI uh, just recently. Um, we're starting to do a lot more into sort of patenting of biologics. Um, we're getting very into like patenting and uh, trademark issues associated with things like power storage. Hmm. Um, so a lot of issues that we see sort of as emerging and upcoming. Uh, we do have a big CLE that we're doing as part of it. Um, and unfortunately, I forgot to write down the title, as which we have it over the time window. But we do have a big presentation with, I think, three other committees. A uh, big panel sort of going through. Um, Can you tell us what it's about? Or? A whole bunch of sort of uh, you know, uh, ongoing issues in conjunction with, you know, what's happening. And it's, I, I think in some sense it's a little bit – we're a little bit more open in the topic of this. It was, it was headed towards the idea of power structures. That was definitely something we were headed cool. to. But this has ended up a little more open. Um, but it's a lot of good speakers and I think a lot of interesting topics that are going to be presented. So definitely come see us. Yeah, so yeah, if you're going to AIPLA, come track us down. Or if you met us at AIPLA and you're downloading this afterwards because you met us and took our advice to listen to our podcast, yep. uh, then welcome. Uh, I also will be – I'm not actually presenting, but I worked on a paper that's being presented uh, on music sampling in the copyright section. Uh, attorney Michael Sukin, uh, he's one of the nation's probably more preeminent uh, entertainment law uh, lawyers. Uh, he'll be presenting on that and discussing uh, Bismarck E. I never thought this far <laughs> of my IP career I'd be talking talking about Bismarcky, but uh, yeah. it's, a, it's an interesting story. So anyway, uh, so today's topic is reboots and sequels. Um, it's an issue we've wanted to cover for a while, and there's it's, it's a weird intersection of sociological issues, of psychological issues, of legal issues. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons why we see reboots and sequels and soft reboots and remakes and a lot of these things uh, going on right now. Um, and I thought we'd get into, you know, kind of go through each one of those and why that's happening because they're all kind of interesting in their own right. It just – it seems like I – mean, correct me if you if you disagree. It just seems like nobody sits down and just writes an original screenplay anymore. <laughs> well, I mean there's an argument that says nobody has done that since like, you know, pre-Shakespeare <laughs> since there's, you know, only seven possible plots that you can ever, you know, use in any screenplay. But yeah, I think there's a lot of feeling generally amongst culture right now. And, you know, I've encountered in other podcasts I've listened to, you know, other media that you get, they – that there's this real focus on we want to tell the same story over and over again through sort of different lenses mm-hmm. and we're no longer doing it where it's the we're going to you know tell you know Romeo and Juliet is West Side Story it's we're going to literally retell West Side Story or we're going to literally retell Romeo and Juliet doing something else and there are you know it, it seems like it's becoming more and more common mm-hmm. in what's happening again it's not that we're specifically telling the same story. It's that we're specifically referencing that it is the same story and the same themes. We're just telling it in conjunction of different ways. Now, obviously, some of that as to where it's come from, we see it in sequels and the idea, and I think there's an important thing to point out here is what did we consider a sequel versus a reboot and things like that. We'll get into that. A sequel effectively is something coming later, you know, temporally in the idea versus a prequel. In in the narrative structure. Yeah. We usually think of sequels as the movie or the, you know, the second piece of content was made after the first, which is, of course, always true for the second piece of content yep. but it's when it's when the the, the story arc takes place is it before or after the original yeah. the story arc is essentially the next logical stage whereas a reboot is kind of starting over yeah and we've seen a lot of reboots happen yes. recently I think the, the major one uh, for any of the guys who are sort of you know into the superhero movies and stuff like that is how many times have we rebooted Spider-Man yeah and that one's interesting I, I've never dug into the reasons why but I believe there are legal slash contractual reasons why it took so long to merge Spider-Man into 
into the the mainstream Marvel universe. I yeah. think there was an obligation or the rights were held by somebody else, and there was like a number of options that had to all be extinguished before, yeah. you know, I think Disney has Marvel Studios now, don't they? I think Disney's uh, got Star Wars and Marvel. Uh, yeah, I thought, they do. Is they, that right? I think Universal sure. had Marvel. Um, well, in any case, uh, it, it was. It took a while before they could make it. And same with the Fantastic Four. There was some option, and oh, what's his name? Uh, Roger, um, I forget his name. Uh, a very famous sort of borderline A B movie director, but made a uh, uh, an original uh, Fantastic Four movie that was never actually released. Yep. They just, you know, that's the thing with these contracts. You have to make the movie. You don't have to actually publish it, you know, or put it in theaters. Yep. Yeah, and and I think that that's you know, there's a lot to be talking about. Is it's there are legal reasons why people do reboots and sequels. Um, specifically, and particularly, I think the idea of reboots and sort of things we encounter with it. One of the ones I always think is sort of the most fascinating, um, sort of in conjunction with it, when you talk about it, is actually something that I haven't talked a lot about on this show, but it's actually a subject I'm fairly geeky about. I used to be more so um, than I am now, which is James Bond. Oh, yeah. Um, I was a huge James Bond fan as a kid, um, and I still somewhat am. Uh, anybody who's seen my car, I mean, I have a Spectre Octopus, and yes, it's an octopus, not a Wraith, mm-hmm. um, on the back of my on the back of my car. Um, you know, it's one of those things to just sort of, you know, people put Autobot symbols and everything else. I happen to put that on. I just have a bunch of Hawkeye stuff on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's because you're a sports nerd. Um, but the, uh, the thing that, uh, you know, sort of in doing that, one of the things that's very, very interesting is that James Bond is one of the first things that actually had reboots. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go back, I mean, you had the original Sean Connery, the original sort of James Bond. When it rebooted to Roger Moore, you definitely had some changes, things like that. Now, part of that was because it changed studios. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, created some interesting legal issues. But interestingly enough, they've never really been pervasive. The legal issues associated with the fact that one James Bond movie was made by a different studio mm-hmm. um, than the rest of them is, is one of those things that sort of hasn't really caused a lot and, of and IP James problems. James Bond, and we'll get into this more later in the podcast. We've got a whole section on James Bond coming up. Uh, but it presents an interesting analytical question because what is it? Is it a sequel? I mean, I think I think up until recently, we just said, no, they're not sequels. We're just making another James Bond movie. And yeah. there's not always any particular continuity between the two, just the same sort of tropes and themes that carry forward. But now that's different. It seems like they're linking them yep. all together. But they even started that at the beginning with the fact that basically you had you interlinked with Spectre, with the, yes. the evil organization that James Bond is working against, um, you know, the, the terrorist organization that, the, that, that he fights against. We have an introduction of those characters fairly early, and there are definitely clear references to the Spectre track. At least with some of the movies, not mm-hmm. necessarily all of them, but at least with some of the movies. Um, and so, yeah, it's, that's one that I think gets interesting with it is how much of that is reboot, how much of it is sequel. It's also you know very useful, I think, from this because it's a very long running property. Yeah, I mean, how many Bond movies are there? You know, I mean, we're talking that it's well into the twenties, maybe even the thirties now. They're making them for um, decades. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I think I own twenty of them, and I own all but the most the most recent uh, the most recent ones um, on DVD. And yeah, I still use DVDs. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're all getting back to being Luddites now. Like when I had my when I built my house, I'm like, I want Cat Six. I don't want to have wireless everywhere. I actually owned the uh, the original DVD player. One of the, some of the originally released DVDs. Sony and Panasonic each put out an original DVD player. I owned the Panasonic original DVD player wow. um, because I was switching from VHS and saw it as the future. You know, I was obviously ahead of my time. I am no longer uh, <laughs> since I'm still using DVDs and sort of you know became attached to the technology. I just don't have a Blu-ray player or a 4K TV. <laughs> I just for, for for as much as I'm into technology, I'm always slow to upgrade things. Yeah, and part of that's just because I find it's difficult to do so. Yeah, it's a pain. But yeah, I think what we see we encounter in conjunction with these things is we see these reboots, we see these sequels. Um, let's start with sequels, and I, and I kind of want to go there. We were talking just a little bit about the differences between them, but let's start with sequels. Well, what's what's the psychological appeal to a sequel? I mean, there's some obvious things that the brain knows what it likes. 
and it wants to see those things again. And, uh, and and so we see a lot of nostalgia too, not just sequels, but there's a lot like the, the 1980s aesthetic is really popular right now. Yeah. Everything's being set in the 70s and 80s. I think it's because the people making these movies now, that's when they grew up and that's yeah. what they want to see again. Yeah, they, they enjoyed some of that technology. I mean, as much as it is, they think there is a lot of revisionist history mm-hmm. in the way people remember the 80s. Um, because yeah. when you're a kid, everything's simpler. Like, it's a simpler time. Things are easier. Somebody else is in charge of making the big decisions. And so you only remember, like, the, the fun pop cultural aspects of yeah. it. You don't remember living in other utter fear, you know, the Soviet Union. Yeah. And I mean, some of us do. I mean, we had nuclear I remember that. We had but when you're a kid, it's, it's this vague threat that grownups are in charge of, yeah. you know? I think another reason why that, that, that time period is big as a setting right now is that I've, I have a working theory that the internet and mobile phones make stories impossible to tell in an interesting way. Because <laughs> if you watch a movie now, you know, how do people really communicate? They send each other texts. Yeah. Or, or, or Instagrams or whatever it is the kids are doing these days. Uh, <laughs> but that's not, that's not exactly cinematic, you know? Yeah. To, to, you know, hey, uh, let's, let's all get together somewhere. Like having a bunch of characters turn and type on their phone and having an interesting visual way to portray what's going on to the audience is really boring, you yeah. know? Nobody wants to sit and watch somebody else type on their phone uh, and so if you have them pick up the phone and text they got to do it in like one second so they send a big long message in one second it just it, it, it shatters your suspension of disbelief and just a lot easier you know and a lot of movies that have conflicts you know deal with communication problems and people missing each other it's harder to do when there's instantaneous communication yeah. universally available so you just take it all away yeah. you know and set the movie in 1983 and then that problem's not there one of the ones that definitely I think you really encountered that with and I think it's a, it's sort of a very universal thing that the people were even talking about in conjunction with the early cell phones is horror movies. Yes. You know, one of the key aspects of many, many horror movies is isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that there are no resources, you're, you're forced to sort of fend for yourself, and you're generally fending for yourself against something that's that's much more powerful than you are and very, very dangerous. And at least in the first part of the film, a threat, the nature of which you're not entirely sure of, yeah. neither, neither the characters nor the audience really knows. Yeah, and I think that's a very sort of staple of horror movies. What you think you're discovering is that to deal with it, a lot of horror movies went to the past or to the future. They set them in the 1980s, 1970s, or they set them in a post-apocalyptic future where mm-hmm. they could say something didn't exist. It's effectively a way to deal with the problem that if we think about it, if you were out, you know, camping with four of your friends and, you know, somebody suddenly, you know, wound up dead, you'd all be driving elsewhere, calling yeah. the police, doing everything that would basically defeat the entire purpose of a horror movie of making you isolated. Didn't you send me that video <laughs> of a bunch of, it was like a, a an ironic, like, mock- mocking video of a bunch of teenagers show up at, like, a creepy cabin. Didn't you send me that? Uh, and they're, sure like, they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to go hang out at this cabin. And they show up, and they're like, this place is creepy and gross. Let's go to the beach, man. Yeah. And they just take off, and the next scene is, like, the chainsaw guy comes out. Nobody's there to, for him to murder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, this is the most, and it's, like, marketed as the most realistic horror movie ever. Here's <laughs> what really happened. You just wouldn't yeah. go. I, re- I remember that video. Yeah, I think I did send that to you. The... But yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where like for a while there was a real problem of just how do we deal with this. What I think you're also now seeing though, quite frankly, is I think you're starting to see movies again, I think horror is leading the way as much as it mm-hmm. is, starting to now say, wait, we can use the the interconnectivity as horror. I mean, and I can't remember the movie that just recently came out, but the one where it's basically if you disconnect from the, the live video feed, oh, yeah. um, you you know, know, you're the next victim. I actually don't find those all that compelling. You, you, maybe it's because I understand the technology too well <laughs> that the whole, like, there's a demon in your computer thing. It was like, no, no, that's that's not working for me at all. 
At the same time, I think if you understand the technology generally of any kind of horror, it doesn't make any yeah. sense. There's there's a way you could do a <laughs> horror movie like that. That's more of a psychological thriller, where like somebody becomes crazy by being too immersed in like the internet and whatnot. But that's yeah. too boring and probably hits a little too close to home for a lot of the audience. Well, I think we're, so. we're we're getting you know again. I think people are investigating the idea of using the modern world much more now. But again, I think a lot of it is quite frankly they they jump back because there is easier to do things. A good example of it. And it's one of the ones that I sort of play around with. And if you talk about it, is if you go to sort of Every modern combat video game, mm-hmm. the combat is all based on World War II. Of course, yeah. it's even you know games which are based upon modern combat are not based upon modern combat. They're based upon essentially combat. Well, in how World much War fun II. is it to fly a drone? That's just like I mean, yeah. you're playing a video game where you're playing a video game. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that kind of idea is to you know I think you you bump into that and it's something we hadn't really realized until now. But again, it's you know if you really go and you examine like okay, how was combat fought in World War II or even World War One? We have much more the idea of okay, you know you're crossing the blasted wastescape. That's World War One. That's mm-hmm. World War Two. That isn't Vietnam, you know. I mean, that's the the kind of thing with you know Vietnam is a much more sort of you know sudden attack you know type of thing. I mean, and again, you know, I think that's hard to do in video games because it's 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 sudden, it's quick, and it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's you no strategy. Lose. Involved, yeah, you know? there's I mean, not the, the strategy. The idea behind you know war video games, the fun comes from the application of strategy to to win. You know, yep. um, the, the fun does not come from accurately mirroring the experience of being in armed conflict. That yeah. sucks. Nobody well, wants to do that. Look no further than Fortnite of the idea of what is it accurately, so they, which has no basis to get accuracy what's that, you know, whatsoever, the, the mm-hmm. concept of how it works. But is hugely, hugely popular because of the nature of it kind of presents this true fantasy yeah. world of combat. Well, there's which, a strategic element that becomes more and more tactical as the game goes on, I think. Yeah. I never played it, but that's kind of just yeah. what I picked up. And again, it's, I, I actually haven't played it myself, but it's, I've definitely I've read quite a bit about playing it, just yes. amusingly enough um, as to what it is. And I've thought about playing it. It's just one of those where it's, I, I don't think I'd get into it. I get, the, I get why it's so addictive and why it's so interesting. But to me, like, that's not really the kind of game I want to play. I can't. I can't. Have fun in the fast twitch muscle yeah, games. That's, like that. and that's my like, problem with I'm, it. I'm I'm too old and I can't keep up with these teenagers. So no offense, teenagers, you're, yeah. you're just better than me. <laughs> yeah, it's we just. I mean, and I think we've talked about it before. Is the idea that you know, as getting older, we're just not as interested in Twitch games. Yeah. Because I can't do it. I used to be able to do it. I was great at it in Quake. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I can't do those kind of things anymore. And I also don't have the desire, in many respects, to learn. To develop the skill set. And yeah. develop the skill set to do it. Just because it's it's something I don't have as much time that I'd like to put into it as I would have put into it, you know, back when I was in college or something along those lines. Playing. Let's talk games. about some of the legal reasons why we see all this stuff. I think a simple one is clearance. Yep. It's just, you know, when you, when you go to make a, a new song or you're going to go make a movie, the first thing the studio or the labels are going to ask is, do you actually have the right to make all this stuff, and are you stealing anybody else's yep. material? And, and you have to tell them no and give certain guarantees and insurance and yep. whatnot. And I think the thing with that you really bump into with that is what you see is once the property's cleared, it's easy to say it's already cleared. Yeah. And with a sequel, especially like a remake coming 20 years later, you would think if the original infringed something, you'd have heard about it by now. Yeah. So you feel pretty safe making the 19th Halloween movie, which I think is coming out yeah. this week. Or, you know, even talking sort of, a, as I think, a, quite frankly, a sort of great example of a reboot and really a sequel is Tron. And yeah. Tron Legacy, yeah. um, which is technically a sequel. I mean, it's set as a much fu- further future time period um, as, a, as a continuation of the same storyline. It's just the technology has changed. But that's one of those things where you can look at it and you say, you know, it's pretty clear who owns the rights in Tron. I mean, Disney yeah. had always done Tron. They could obviously make another Tron. They own the rights and everything that appears in it. Um, and I think that's a lot of the reason why you do see sequels is, is – 
it is easy. Yeah. It's very easy to say I can make a second, third, fourth movie in the same franchise because I own all the rights in the franchise versus if I'm going to do the first movie in a franchise, I have to make sure I own the rights, mm-hmm. both in, in twofold in that, one of which is it truly an original script if I'm yep. doing something original. And if it's not truly an original script, it's based on something, you know, it's, it is based on something else. And again, using superheroes as the example mm-hmm. where I've got a comic book character behind, you know, I've got a book character or something along those behind. Can I actually get all the rights I need to do this? And once I have them, and I may have spent a large amount of money for them, don't I? And it turns out it's popular. Don't I want to continue to exploit that? Continue to make more money off of it because I, I it's a known formula. I know it works, and I know I can get it. Well, yeah, you, you have a baked-in audience too. And I think maybe that's why we also see not only that there's a lot of sequels and remakes, but when there are new quote-unquote original movies, they're usually based on a book or on something else, or it's a remake of a foreign film. And I think the same legal concerns apply that the 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 underlying IP has already been vetted to some extent. You're not relying on a screenwriter to just sit down and come up with something original and not unlawfully copy anything from somebody else. You know, if you're buying something, I'm going to Marvel and saying, okay, sell me the movie rights to your entire catalog. Uh, I'm pretty confident since these characters have been around for decades that all the legal issues regarding who owns them have been resolved. And just in case, we're going to put Stan Lee in every movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but surprisingly, you do bump into some weird ones. And I mean, the the example of like one of the ones that I know came out is the character of Bumblebee. Um, There were issues with Bumblebee as a Transformer versus Bumblebee as a superhero. Mm -hmm. uh, Because there isn't a Bumblebee. You know that existed. I think it's in the Marvel universe, maybe in the DC universe, actually. Um, you know, that which sounds is, like an Ant Man and the Wasp thing. Yeah, well, it appeared. It, it's appeared in t- in the in I think it's Teen Titans, or I think it's DC. Is it? Okay, is, the story has appeared. Um, yeah, or not Teen Titans, but the the Teen, the DC Teen, I think is where it's mm-hmm. appeared. Um, and it's one of those things where you sort of bump into who actually owns the rights to the name Bumblebee because it didn't start off as a movie character. It's only recently become a movie character, and you have a long-running movie character. And you know, it's already been. Well, now there's a standalone Bumblebee movie coming out. Too. Yeah, you know, and those kind of things as to what you bump into is it's you know it's not necessarily as clear as we think some of it is, um, but there definitely is. I think a bit of laziness there, and that it brings us to the next piece. And I think it's an important thing to keep in mind when people talk about sequels: is just because you do own the rights to the original doesn't mean you actually own the rights to make a sequel. Well, I think there's an open question whether there is such a thing as a sequel right in the first place, yeah. and this goes back to our character copyright uh, set of episodes. Um, you know, if you, if you look at the Copyright Act, there, there's nothing in there that says once you make the original, you and you alone have the right to make other stories based on that original story. The closest thing is the derivative works right, yep. which is that the author has the exclusive right to prepare derivative works based on the original. But when we look at the cases, we don't see the courts relying upon that as heavily as you'd expect. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out that basically it's been well said there is no sequel right. The copyright does not grant you a right to make a sequel in the copyrighted work. You can make one. It doesn't grant you the exclusive right. It doesn't 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 expressly prohibit others from doing it. Yeah, but where you really bump into it, I think, in a lot of sequels, and we've touched on this before, is we need to reuse characters, we need to reuse things which may have copyrights outside of the original work. And that's where you even bump into the questions, and we've gotten into these before, well, what if I write something? something set in the universe that uses none of the characters. Mm-hmm. You know, what if the only character I use is a specifically unnamed generic character? It's our Rogue One, our first episode. Yeah. You know, you, could, could you do this in a way? I mean, that, that movie didn't even use very many recognizable characters. It threw a couple in. Yeah. But you could take them out easily, uh, take out all the obvious Star Wars, you know, fanboy service, the ad-at walkers and stuff. You could, you could tell that story in a way that looks like Star Wars and obviously is Star Wars, but doesn't use anything that's ever appeared in a prior 
entire Star Wars yep. film. And then the question is, just because it's a visual narrative, do you establish does the does, is there some copyright established in the look and feel of Star Wars? Mm-hmm. And I think you and I as IP lawyers have both said you shouldn't have copyrights in yep. look and feel. We even addressed it as that's trade yeah. dress. That sounds like trade episode. dress. And that sounds like I like Star Wars, the gritty, rugged, um, you know, dirty sci-fi universe. That's just a concept. Alien did that too, right? Yeah. And Blade Runner, which and Blade is Runner. did it first. You know, yeah, the, the ugly sci-fi. So I mean that's just an idea, and you have the idea expression dichotomy and copyright that says you can't copyright the idea. Just the expression of it. So, you know, how, how broad is that net cast in terms of what the scope of the copyright protection is on the visual narrative? And going back to character copyright, this is a relative, I wouldn't say it's easy, it's a simpler analysis with the character. So take like Superman, yep. appears in comic books, has an appearance, just because I'm drawing Superman, you know, flying straight up and the the perspective is from his left hand side and he's got his right fist raised. Okay, so there's one picture of Superman. Um, that's just one expression, but somebody else can't draw the exact same character in a different pose and say it's a different expression. It's really just the same expression, right? Because yeah. it's a visual character. It's still the same visual character. And actually that's one of those things that we definitely bumped into. And I think if you go back in the art, there used to be, and a lot of people would argue it's certain cases were wrong decided the visual medium versus the non-visual medium and the fact that essentially visual characters visual medium gets more copyright protection when it comes to things like sequels and reboots mm-hmm. than the non-visual does um, and we've talked a little bit about this I think yeah. even in some previous episodes of the idea is you know did anybody know what these characters really looked like before there was a movie and the weird part you bump into with it is again I think you know using like the you know the Lord of the Rings is the yeah. example the appearance is an actor. Yeah. We're not talking about a, a true CGI character. There's a necessary component of the character which is the actor who plays them or the actress who I plays them I can't go back and, and, uh, and forget what Viggo Mortensen looks like and tell you what I thought Strider looked like before I saw the movie. Yeah. I knew he was tall. That's yeah. it. And that's know? the thing. It's very, very hard to sort of separate that from it. But it's also now you, you've inevitably linked that character to Viggo Mortensen. Yeah. And that's not... A character that's a person, you know, who's clearly not that character. And it's one of those things I think you bump into, particularly in science fiction. And, you know, you hear it from actors in science fiction of bumping into, you know, they go to these science fiction conventions and they don't necessarily want to be that role. They want to be an actor. Yeah. But they get so associated with that role. And part of the reason I think they get so associated with that role is because these are beloved characters that now suddenly for the first time have a visual depiction. Well, particularly if if you're a sci-fi actor, you're often typecast in these roles. And it, you know, certain certain genres, you kind of get stuck in them. You don't, you don't move far out of them once you're in yep. them. And so people always see you as being these characters because that's what you're known for. I think you and I have both been listening to the Cracked podcast. Yep. They had LeVar Burton on. I listened to him talk, and even though it's LeVar Burton speaking as himself, <laughs> I just hear Jordy LaForge. <laughs> yeah, you can't sort of avoid it when you're used to that character. And and admittedly, I have to say, you know, some of the things, and both of us have have taken to listen to a, a, the Cracked podcast, which is one of those. If you guys yeah, have speaking a recommendations, we both like that one a lot. Uh, one we definitely recommend. But um, the, the current issue is he does have Lavar Burton as the guest, and he's talking about sort of the benefits of reading. And the the as much as Lavar Burton is a fantastic actor, he appears great on stage. He also has a voice for radio. I mean, he does. He is the such he a phenomenal voice on yeah. the podcast. You understand why he does podcasts where he reads things and you know things like that. He has such a phenomenal voice for it, and it's one of those where you suddenly realize why he worked as Jordy LaForge because yeah. it's that voice, as much as it's his appearance, that really worked with that character. Yeah, for um, sure. And I think that a lot of people associate that, quite frankly, with Jordy. I think if you saw him, you wouldn't 
necessarily associated with Jordan because his appearance was so altered by the visor. Yep. But when you hear him, it's so easy to hear that voice. Yeah, I mean, because the, the emoting is the same. That's what the actors bring to the character, a lot of their personality and emoting. And, you know, I think, this is my opinion, I think good directors find, a, you know, good casting agents, you know, find a way to find the actor who's emoting really brings out the best of those characters. Yeah. Well, and you definitely have it. And, I mean, if you want to go into sort of no further, Harrison Ford. Yeah. You know, and the idea of, you know, how Harrison Ford made Han Solo and really made Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, many of the iconic scenes of both those characters are ad-libbed. Yeah. You know. Didn't they originally want Tom Selleck for Indiana Jones? Oh, I, I, Can you even I, imagine I that? Who that is, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I mean, you know, they talk about it as it's, you know, the, the I know scene in Empire Strikes Back is ad lib. I mean, it was like a 50th take. Yeah. Where he was uh, just tired of it, tired yeah. of repeating the lines. Um, and well, then the, they told him just say what Han Solo would say, if I remember right. Yeah. Like, and then the, the gun <laughs> scene in uh, Temple, or not Temple, uh, in, in, in uh, Raiders of the Last Ark. It's Raiders of the Last Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the. the uh, the the Indian guy no what are they in Egypt the Egyptian Egypt. guy gets that that big curd sword out sword out and does a bunch of you know moves with it yeah. and he just picks up a gun and shoots it yeah, it was supposed to be a fight scene but like I think it was Harrison Ford was like under the weather at the yeah, time he was and sick. was just going like, to shoot I this don't guy. want to do this just shoots him <laughs> the actor on the other side of course looks surprised that was not intended <laughs> but fortunately plays along with it and it's become probably one of the most iconic oh, yeah. scenes in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, you know, because it so accurately defines Indiana Jones' personality. Mm-hmm. Though, which is weird because it Indiana Jones' personality, he's an archaeologist. Well, yeah, I mean, he's a character <laughs> that I think, we're really digressing here, but Indiana Jones is a character that I think looms large in our minds because the movies were fun. But the character himself doesn't have a lot of definition. And in a lot of ways, he's sort of a, a roughshod American James Bond. In fact, I think yeah. I think the whole reason they made the character was they wanted to do a James Bond film, Lucas and Spielberg. And whoever owns the franchise said, no, American directors aren't going to direct a James Bond film. And they said, fine, we'll make our own. Yeah. And, he's, and, and at that level, I mean, James Bond is also a pretty shallow character from that point of view um, and it's, it's, it's the universe and the yep. story and the richness of how it's told and the kinetic uh, you know elements of it that make it interesting and fun but you know I mean going back to the visual appearance James Bond what does James Bond look like yep and that's actually and again as we get into James Bond I think one of the things that's really good and it's, I'm going to talk through a couple things I think are just interesting in James Bond particularly sort of from a legal aspect and some of also where the story has gone the, the interesting thing I think you have in James Bond is it's definitely one of the first few characters that is portrayed by multiple actors. And it's portrayed by multiple actors without sort of any recognition in the movie that the actor changed. Mm-hmm. You know, th- especially early on, again, thinking like, you know, Roger Moore, Justin Lazenby, Sean Connery, there's no statements in the movies that the actor has changed, you know, between these, that James Bond has changed person. It's still James Bond. Like in and most modern movies, you wouldn't do that. Like if, yeah. if a character, like uh, if a character dies or something, like like the Roseanne thing that just happened, yep. they wrote the character out for, you know, because of Roseanne's behavior, uh, and, but they had to it. They didn't just start the story over and move on. Like, you have to explain what's yeah. going on. And I don't really say that that, that arguably started with Dallas and the need to bring back Bobby. Yeah. Um, you know, after they killed Bobby off, they need to bring him back and explain Speaking season of the 80s. six or whichever yeah. is entirely a dream sequence, <laughs> which is kind of an amusing way to write out a season. Um, Our millennial but, listeners are all rolling their eyes and saying, why do these people always talk about <laughs> Dallas when they talk about I the joke 80s. about Dallas because I was a kid when it was Dallas. I wasn't allowed to watch Dallas, but I, I wasn't either. hide behind my parents' like, you know, armchair and they would occasionally forget that I was there. No, my mom watched um, Dynasty. Oh, I remember <laughs> Dynasty. And the other one was Fantasy Island, which yes. 
I have to admit, I didn't understand Fantasy Island until maybe either. 10 years ago. I didn't either. <laughs> Once I finally understood I kind of want to go Fantasy back and watch some of those about. shows now that I have a, an adult appreciation <laughs> for them, or yeah. lack of appreciation, maybe. Uh, if you really want to talk about sort of crazy ones our parents watch, how about The Love Boat? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I think, you know, you, that was one of the first things you had happen with that. And what's so interesting about it was there really was no change. It just happened, and it just sort of was accepted and just sort of continued. And like Whereas, not all the actors changed either. Like some of the other actors were the same from film to film. Yep. But James Bond changed, and the actors playing the other characters never had that moment where they're like, well, geez, you look different today. Yeah. You know? And some of them also, some of the other actors also changed also at various changed, points yeah. in the course of it, and there was no sort of statement behind it. One of the things that's been interesting is I think in modern things, and I think particularly the most recent James Bond movie, there's now been the hint of is the reason this happens is because James Bond is a persona. Mm-hmm. Um, that effectively anybody can be James Bond by simply being given the designation 007, mm-hmm. that, and which fits a spy mm-hmm. when you think about it. Is it's yes, this person is always James Bond, they're always 007. We have no idea who they literally are. Um, and the same kind of rule can apply to the other characters that kind of carry forward Q and yeah. M, and you know, it can be anybody. It's yeah. just a role within the organization as opposed to one specific individual. Yeah, and the and the fact of sort of the reusing things and and playing around with M with Q with now Monty Penny as well. Mm-hmm. You know, being potentially this idea that these are roles. But I think what you, we haven't seen you happen in those movies yet. And I think it's one of the things that's worth saying is an express statement that this is what's happening. Yeah, they've kind of hinted at. They've it. kind of hinted at it. But the other question with it is, is, do they need to? Is it something where the fan base is just going to kind of look at it and say, no, I think this makes sense as a role? It also fits with if you've ever read any of the James Bond books because they, many of them are written by Ian Fleming, mm-hmm. but they, there are other authors who took over afterwards. And actually, many of the more modern movies are not Ian Fleming books. And then hasn't Fleming himself said at some point, like, it's not really my character anymore? Yeah, I think that's, I think he is one of the ones that said that. There's definitely like, authors that have commented about the fact that characters aren't really theirs anymore. Yeah. But the, the comment I remember is it's I believe it's Living Daylights is the first movie that isn't an Ian Fleming novel but Casino Royale is a Fleming novel mm-hmm. yet it occurs much later and actually if, if I remember my chronology right Casino Royale is technically chronologically the first James Bond movie mm-hmm. or James Bond right. story, story yeah. um, even though movie wise it's very deep and it's actually not set to be earlier it's still set to be an origin story but it's kind of set to be an origin story of a new James Bond that does make some references to old James Bond having been Which around. is also interesting that if, if you set it up that way that it's a persona, then you can have multiple origin stories in the same contiguous narrative yeah. timeline. Which yeah. is which is unusual. Then it's not really as I mean. Then every movie is effectively a soft reboot. Yeah, and, and that kind of thing, the, the one problem I think you bump into with that, and people have commented about this. I think the problem you have with James Bond right now is we are too focused on James Bond as an origin story. The last three yeah. or four movies have all been origin stories for James Bond. I think that is a very valid criticism as to what it is. I mean, I I've enjoyed the most recent ones, but I do get the criticism as to do we really need to introduce a new generation of James Bond? Does anybody not know? Which gets <laughs> to another point: Son's affair. Yeah, you know, and this is this is interesting. What I think is interesting about James Bond is it's been done so much and for so long that I mean, what happens in every James Bond movie? What have we got? We've got we've got an introduction to the villain. Yep. you've got the introduction. And the villain's usually horrible. That's one of the yeah. things to sort of keep in mind about James Bond. Two dimensional. Villains are usually very horrible. Boring. Yeah, you've always got the same kind of uh, jazzy intro music with the abstract art background <laughs> that relates very loosely to the plot somehow. Yes, very loosely um, to the plot. And then you've got you know the the looking down the gun sight thing where he turns and shoots and then I mean structurally they mostly play out the same way there's a there's a, a head fake towards one villain that's the 
false villain. Yep. Then there's the real villain. You know, there's an introduction to the story. It's there's the the you know the the romantic interest. The same thing just plays out in every movie to the point where it's become a trope. The yeah. things that happen in a James Bond movie are now sans affaire for any spy film. You know, you've got you've got the the technical guy and the gadgets. You know, the Q type character. Yeah. You've got the obligatory car chase and the guns and the tuxedos and all this stuff is now spy trope. Yeah. But. So has James Bond, you know, it's created what is now Sans Affair for all other spy movies, and you can't copyright those elements yeah. of the story, but that's what a James Bond story yeah. is. Although I think one of those things we bump into is I think it's anybody, and again, you know, it's not like I'm involved in espionage, but I think anybody who is probably involved in modern espionage would say James Bond is a spy is totally unworkable. It's exactly what somebody age. who was involved in espionage would say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things where you look at it, and you just even from a basic point of view— it's if absurd. everybody would know James Bond is a spy, he's yeah. always been a spy. He's been a spy for 40 years. So if I walked up and said, yeah. I'm James Bond, and I'm Bond, important. James Bond. We're like, oh, yeah. so you're the new one, right? Like, <laughs> I'm an important government affairs, you know, you know, um, you know, activity. You would presume he's a British spy. <laughs> you know, that's it's those kind of things. And it's I think there was one movie that even sort of did that, that sort of pointed out the fact that like somebody recognized that he was a spy just by him mm-hmm. who he was. But it's it's one of those things where you, you look at it and you say, in modern sort of spy movies, I think you wouldn't have that. And we've seen, and I know we both saw it, uh, we both saw edited, but I saw an edited version of it, you didn't. We both saw Red Sparrow, mm-hmm. which I think is a very non-James Bond spy movie. No, um, no, it's a very different type of film. It's an extremely different type of film. Um, and just if for anybody who's, who hasn't seen it, so it is Red Sparrow loosely um, is a story about a Soviet spy agency. Um, the thing about it is it is a movie which is extremely sexually charged and extremely violent. It is graphic um, in every way a film yes, can be graphic. And it does it on purpose, and it does it on purpose for a very, I think, important plot point. It's unsettling. Like normally a movie yes. like that, you'd expect them to take advantage of, you know, the sexuality to, you know, to make it more interesting. It's not. No, it's not. It makes it more uncomfortable, and that's the whole idea. Um, and it's one of those movies that I think, in, like, the more after seeing the movie, the more I've sort of gone back and sort of analyzed the movie. I, never I really see it think, again. <laughs> in many respects, it's a brilliant movie um, in the way it sort of portrays the idea and, and what's going on and things like that. But it's very much not a spy movie as we think of James Bond as a spy movie. Um, you know, and. That's good. I mean, it, it's completely blown the trope out of the water. There's still elements of it, you know, definitely yeah, as to what it is. But again, there's elements of espionage which are always going to be common. You know, the secret compartments is something all spies are going to use. Yeah. I mean, modern spies the, the use The dead drop, all that kind of yeah, stuff. You yeah. know, that's it's those kind of things. You know, as I'm trying to remember, I, I actually had a presentation that was given to me by a spy on how to catch spies. And I remember, I think it's field work, I think is the term they use or uh, something. Fieldcraft? Fieldcraft, that's yeah. the term I'm looking for. Um and uh, you know those those types of things. But, well, I think but, the interesting question: Does the change in the actor alter the copyright scope any, and or, or the strength maybe of a copyright argument? I, yeah, I mean, just going through the Sons of Fair stuff, I'd argue it maybe weakens it a bit. It weakens what you can say is copying your movie. Yeah, and that's where you bump into what is what is James Bond, and we sort of started this whole thing with that question: Who is James Bond? What is James Bond? We look at it and say James Bond obviously is not defined by any particular actor. We've had a number of different yep. actors that have played them. Now those actors share certain commonalities. I mean, let's be the most bluntly obvious ones. They're all male and they're all British. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now there's some reason for that. He's a British secret agent. Yeah. Um, but you know, the the things. But that there's no you, reason narratively why you couldn't have uh, an American national or like an Indian Gurkha yeah. come fit into that role. Well, we were actually talking about that. And I have to admit, like one of the things I looked at and I said, assuming you treat James Bond as a persona, wouldn't it be cool if suddenly James Bond was Indian because they needed to do something yeah. in India. Pakistani. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. former British mandates where you could you could draw actors from. 
Yeah, you know, it'd be really cool. The idea that, you know, yes, this is somebody who's clearly British. They can give you a bit of the yeah. origin story. That they blend you know, in a lot more places in the world, you Exactly. Know? They blend in, and the whole idea of it's James Bond would stand out in these, yeah. being, you know, you know, Pierce Brosnan is James Bond, you know, it would clearly stand out in these types of things, whereas another actor wouldn't, you know, would, would blend in much better. Wouldn't that be interesting? It would it be is. interesting. Um, but then you risk the fan backlash, which we're seeing in another uh, sort of uh, polymorphic character, which is Doctor Who. Yep. Um, yeah, and I think uh, we don't talk about Doctor Who a lot, and I think it's because neither one of us is a huge Doctor I've Who fan. I've never seen a single episode. So I actually watched a lot of Doctor Who in like seasons one and two. <laughs> um, you know, back when the Daleks were trash cans um, and, and things like that. And so <clears throat> the modern Doctor Who to me is a bit foreign. Yeah. But we definitely have some friends who are seriously into Doctor Who and things like that. But, you know, again, Doctor Who's another place, kind of like James Bond, where definitely they've now explicitly said Doctor Who essentially is a persona. That's a persona, yeah. Um, Which when have... you do that, frees up who can, who can play that yeah. role. As we see now, we have a female Doctor Who. Yep. And if it's just a persona, then there's no reason why it couldn't be anybody. It couldn't be anybody. And that's kind of the fun thing, I think, in yeah. some respects. That, I, but... I understand it annoys some fans, you know, who, who feel like it's, it lacks some fidelity to the original. Yeah. As somebody who's not a big fan of the series, it doesn't really matter to me either way. I, for, for my part, I, I don't like tokenism, but I, if there's a genuine effort to cast somebody who's good in the role, I, I don't really care who it is. Quite frankly, I have to also look at it and say the whole idea that it's supposed to be anybody kind of presents fun alternatives yeah. when you start messing around with who is it. Well, you give a female um, James Bond, that wouldn't bother me any. That'd be fun. Yeah. The other one They'll that they've actually it, played but... around a bit with that is Green, Green Lantern because, I mean, in, in like superhero things, Green Lantern is whoever has the ring. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to – I'm not real familiar with it, but I believe like in, in the, the comic book universe, there's like a place where Green Lantern's a dog. Um, and like you know sort of various things like that because it's literally by putting on the ring you become Green Lantern Um, and you know there's a lot of aliens that sort of appear as other you know objects and things like that you know they aren't human and there there have been male and female Green Lanterns um, but yeah, I think you have, but when you talk about the idea again, is those sort of things, what does it mean to be James Bond? We really bump into that now of what's a James Bond film versus another spy film. And again, we've talked about Red Sparrow is a totally different type of spy film. There's no question there, but we start getting into something that says, Hey, I want to make something with, you know, a spy who's suave, who kind of mm-hmm. behaves like the stereotypical bachelor. I think is one of the things you could say sort of behaves yeah. the way James Bond behaves. Womanizer. Um, you know, high, high 10 gambler, those kind of things, yep. you know, obviously drinks expensive Basically cocktails. say he's sort of a 1950s era alpha male, highly Confident, yeah. trim, athletic, good-looking, uh, um, you know, worldly, knowledgeable, knows you know appropriate interests and libations. Yeah. That, I know, think one of those of things thing. that you can actually put it down, and I think if you investigate it, it's one of the things that I'm I'm, I'm watching right now. Just as, as what it is, I'm actually watching the Amazon Prime series and the Hugh Hefner story mm-hmm. and the story of Playboy. James Bond is Playboy. Yeah, that, that's what he is. He is it, when you watch that thing. What the idea of what Hugh Hefner was trying to create as the Playboy image. It's James Bond. So if we're going to make, so let's say you and I wanted to make just a, a James Bond movie, but we didn't have the rights to James Bond. How much of what's in those films could you pretty faithfully replicate? Yeah. Don't call it James Bond. You obviously Don't can't call, call him James Bond. You right. can't refer to 007. Yeah, but that's a trademark issue more than you can't you can't copyright James Bond, yeah. right? The, the the two words. Yeah. But it's um, a clear trademark. I mean, it's a clear trademark. Knows who so that's out. Is. And you'd have to make you know you can change the character names around. But I don't. I mean, the the Sons of Fair aspects of it are so entrenched now. I don't think you'd have to change that much to get far enough away that all you've really taken are the tropes. Yeah. Um, the one problem you potentially have is if you just took the tropes and you took too many of them, yeah. you'd start being compared to James Bond movies and what's probably the, other be found than inferior. The obvious parody, what's the real narrative difference between James Bond and Austin Powers? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it is an obvious parody. I mean, it's not. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, because it's, it's an obvious parody. It's a degree of, of, of silliness. <laughs> yeah. James Bond is fundamentally silly, but it takes itself seriously. Yep. Austin Powers doesn't. It doesn't, doesn't expect yeah. you to either. Yeah, and, and sort of things that, but you also get into things like the role-playing game Top Secret. 
you know, which is yeah. effectively James Bond, you know, I mean, and the stuff you do it. Well, there was that movie James too, uh, Top Secret. Well, that was yeah. uh, that movie from the 80s. It was, yeah, that a, was another parody, yeah. effectively. I mean, yeah, it wasn't really a James Bond parody so much. It was more of a spy East, movie. East German spy, yeah. Yeah, spy um, movie parody. But I think for those of you who are millennials, there used to be an East and a West Germany. <laughs> <laughs> this is something we need to actually put out there. Yes, there used to actually be East Germany and it used to be communist. Yeah. Uh, and we're not using millennials in a condescending way, but. Uh, no, it's one of those, and, and actually, we've heard people have commented about the fact that we see stuck in the 80s a lot of our growth what did occur in the you know we grew up in the 80s and a lot of our references are to that just because that's our childhood we're actually not that far removed like the modern definition of millennial was like born in the early to mid 80s so like you have no real conscious memory of the cold war but you would have grown up you know with the internet at least on the tail end but we also got to remember that all millennials i believe as of this coming june will have graduated from college yeah, I mean, I think I think, that's the timing, right? Well, I mean, Spencer, so my my oldest son uh, is in college right now. He's not considered a millennial. He's considered whatever generation comes after. Yep. So, I mean, your millennials now, you sort of think of them as, as the, the participation, you know, metal generation, but they're mostly all in their late 20s, early, you know, or 30s, maybe yeah. even in their 40s now. Um, yeah, and that kind of thing. We've got the, the next generation, which, of course, they, they is typical, you know, we're from Generation X. After us, they felt the need to originally name everybody with some letter, which, yeah. of course, they then later get rid of. So it was Generation Y became the millennials. Now it's iGen, which I'm presuming is probably going to get rid of the Z, I eventually. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's this kind of thing. But, yeah, I think it's it's one of those where, you know, there are things about that. And, again, like James Bond's a good example. The original James Bond, a lot of his enemies just plain don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, he fought a lot of communists. He fought yeah. a lot of East Germany. I mean, there's one where it is a whole breaking out of East Germany sort of, you know, episode. You know, they eventually turned it into the idea of a global terrorist organization, which works much better in Spectre. Um, and that always worked because then it was something they could sort of universally keep and it could have its fingers wherever they wanted it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why Spectre hung on, quite yeah. frankly, because it is just a useful thing to use as a plot device. But I, mean, I think you really do bump into the thing that James Bond, is, as soon as you get away from calling him James Bond in 007, it gets very, very hard. So to Mission say Impossible. What there is. Yeah. You know, that, that's a new, that's another franchise that's going strong. Uh, did you see the most recent one? I have not seen the most recent one. I don't think I've actually seen anything since number two. I, I've, I kind of have caught them here and there. I'm not really into the, the, the series, but my wife really is. So I've, I've kind of seen them because she wants to see them. We went and saw the last one, but it's the same kind of thing. It's definitely stylistically different from James Bond. It's, it's, it's action oriented and the, uh, I don't know, the, the plot is, Equally silly in a lot of ways. <laughs> Takes itself uh, also as seriously. Um, but the, the the way it's filmed and the way the, the plots are structured, the, the tropes are yeah. different, but they're still there. Although like, we also going to keep in mind that the Mission Impossible films are based on the Mission Impossible yeah, TV show, yeah. which is arguably based on James Bond. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you sort of jump back there. I mean, the only thing they kept is the, you know, this tape will self-destruct in three seconds. Yeah, they still do that piece. <laughs> yep. Yeah, some of the, I mean, the, the tropes are different, but the, the movies are fundamentally the, uh, the, the, the same kind of, of movie. Um, but, you know, the same thing, yeah, the same question. They're going to keep that franchise going as long as they can. If if Tom Cruise ever ages out of the role, which yeah. at this point seems impossible, <laughs> but definitely is possible. Yeah, uh, you know what? You know, so they, they swap somebody else in. Yep. Does that weaken the copyrights or, or the the uniqueness of the yep. Mission Impossible series? And we've definitely had this happen a lot more recently. I mean, Twenty Four had repeated sort of a yeah. TV oh, yeah. series. Twenty Four yeah. had switch over to Jack Ryan. Um, and so oh, yeah, the time, Jack Ryan, the new uh, John Krasinski one. Yeah. We saw that, too. You know, we've had him switch over. We're having actors change characters, again, some of which is conscious reboot, some of which is the idea of it being a trope. Does the the concept of saying 
the character is a persona strengthen or weaken protection in the character. And I'm not sure that's something we've ever gotten into yet. Well, so the Jack Ryan one, have you seen that? I haven't yet, no. So we watched it because, again, my wife's a big John Krasinski fan. Do you see a trend here? We watch movies and shows that feature male actors that my wife really likes. Um, no, we watched that one. I like John Krasinski, too. Um, and, and it's very clear it's based on the character of Jack Ryan. Yeah. But other than John Krasinski's character being named Jack Ryan and working for the CIA, I don't see any parallels at all or connections to the series. Yep. At which point, it's not even a copyright. You're just using the name Jack Ryan to get it's to, really for marketing. It's really a pure trademark yeah. at that point in time. And, and we get into that with the ideas. I think that one of the other things, we talked about reboots, we talked about sequels. The other thing is, quite frankly, alternative universes. Oh, yeah. And the yeah. idea where we have things that exist separately. I mean, taking like Thor Ragnarok you know, out there, which is basically an alternative universe you know, mm-hmm. in Marvel. I mean, I'm not sure it's presented that way in the movie. I haven't seen the movie, but it's definitely in the comic books. It was a wholly alternative universe. Um it's one of those things where, you know, how does that affect it? Where we now say, yes, there are actually multiple personas, which are all Spider-Man. Multiple personas, which are all, you know, Jack mm-hmm. Ryan. Um, again, does that strengthen or does it weaken the protection in the character? I sort of look at it and say, I think there's an argument definitely that it strengthens the trademark. I mean, the name becomes more associated yeah, with the more things. Of the what, brand. We talk so about that speak. with Star Trek. Like, the new Star Trek is sort of a different, you know, not your daddy Star Trek kind of approach to it, whereas yeah. the Orville is more like the next gen we grew up with. So Star Trek now can be more different things, which strengthens the brand, but then does it does it weaken the scope of the copyright? Like how much can you borrow from Star Trek before you're infringing? Yeah, before you're infringing now because of the fact that you've sort of moved away from the cores of it. Yeah. The persona's gotten a little bit less for lack of a better term, one-dimensional. It's mm-hmm. gotten so many more dimensions, now which parts are you copying? And it comes back to the, and I believe we've talked about this in the show, it's definitely one of those things that's interesting, is the persona of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And there is actually some a copyright case involving the persona of well, Sherlock Holmes. Well, that one's Holmes. important because the copyright straddles the public domain cutoff. Yes, and that was what the issue was, is that there was a series of books before break and a series of books after the break, at the time they were doing some of the reboots, the copyright in the first had run and the copyright in the second had not. Um, and so the issue with it was is what is the character copyright in Sherlock Holmes? And one of the things the court basically said is that elements of the personality of Sherlock Holmes which existed before the break mm-hmm. were public domain. Those that existed after the break were not. So basically, if you know, there's a part of his personality that was described in what is now a public domain work that yep. anybody can use it. And the character himself, yep. just the name of the character can be used. But elements that were developed later, which are still under copyright, would still be protected. And, and can't you can be used a, with the character. Yeah, and this and this all this is all basically a really complicated, difficult jury question that you know that, that every judge hopes he never has to deal yep. with because it, it'll be a messy case. In Sherlock Holmes, manage. remember right? The particular aspect of the character is that he's afraid of dogs. Later yeah, the on, Hound of the Baskervilles, and it's because so, of the Hound yeah. of the Baskervilles. Um, and so that's the the issue of it. So they couldn't make the character afraid of dogs. They couldn't have that aspect of the personality because that's something which was introduced later. But then, could you add a dog <laughs> scene as homage? Because yeah. homage is never infringement, right? Yeah, <laughs> but could you? But also, sort of when you look at that as the idea of the character. You can't make him afraid of dogs. What if he's afraid of cats? What if he's a, just never has a dog that he encounters? There's never yeah. a dog that appears on screen. You don't what if know he's afraid of he's wolves. Afraid. You know, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do, and I mean, that, that's a case you're going to say, well, it's obvious what you're doing there, right? Like, it's not going to pass the laugh test. Yeah. But these these doctrines get really messy around the edges, especially right now, as we talked in our character copyright episodes. It's 2018, and so the cutoff is. Two, or uh, nineteen twenty three, I think, is where the line yep. is. Now we also have to keep in mind. Actually, we should mention on the show the, the new Music Modernization Act. Oh yeah, which we was just about passed. 
um, changing some copyright aspects yeah. here. Now it's music, that's film, and not that's video, music, yeah. but you know, um, you know, that's something where you have these changes in the law, and that did just alter the copyright scope. So when we're talking about you know when are copyrights going to expire, what's going to expire, that did just alter some copyright scope in music works. Yeah, for for sound recordings, basically for musical works themselves, nothing's really changed. But up until 1972, actual recordings of songs were all just governed by a a, a mess of of state law and na- uh, what is it? What are we calling it? NAFTA 2.0. That's <laughs> what we call it. Uh, it's, it's changing that now. Yep. So now it's going to be 95 years and governed by federal law. Yeah, and there's some interesting Which stuff is long associated overdue. with that. But yeah, I mean, you can argue it's long overdue. There were definitely changes. You know, it, it pulls it in line with everything else. But when we talk about the idea of like what is coming in public domain, there's always the possibility of that changing in the future. Yeah. So we have effects now, which may have effects in the future, which could also further complicate it. You have something which is public domain, so they're becoming not public domain, not something which was based on it being in public domain. What happens mm-hmm. to the copyright in that? You have these kind of copyright questions. And again, that's why... That's why we did this episode as our reboot yep. and did this episode with the idea of let's talk about sequels, let's talk about later seasons and the fact of what happens yep. in conjunction with these things. Let's pivot. We could talk about that for three more hours and of we, we, we have before. <laughs> we probably will again. Yep. Uh, so, so new segment, let's talk about geek stuff. A lot has happened since July and I thought we'd kind of go through what we've seen recently, what we recommend, what we don't recommend, uh, what we've liked or yep. not liked. So uh, one thing neither one of us saw and we definitely don't <laughs> recommend, there was, well, we recommend we saw it, there was a Slender Man movie, which yeah, I think you and I had, we did an episode on Urban Legends, and we and I, I think I said something you like, I'm Slender shocked Man. there's not a Slender Man movie yet. It's such a stupid <laughs> idea. <laughs> um, but but there was one. I didn't see it. I've heard anecdotally that it was not good, so I can't personally recommend it or not recommend it. Um, but, uh, you know, to, to go back to our point, why, why hasn't this been made? My theory was because the copyright ownership is not clear based on how the urban legend emerged. It was sort of a collective thing. Yep. Um, you know, this I don't know how that got cleared up, but my guess is whoever – someone sold the rights to the yep. movie studio to make this, and that person gave some very robust warranties and representations and indemnities that they would cover the studio if anybody showed up and sued yep. them over it. And the studio must have decided it's, you know, the, it's well enough <laughs> it's known. It's unlikely, yeah. It's been it's – been, I also think part of reason maybe the reason why it wasn't made into a movie sooner is because there were the Slender Man uh, murder attempts in Wisconsin. Uh, those two girls tried to yep. kill another girl um, and blame Slender Man. And it may have been a simple case of the studio being uh, diplomatic and thinking it's in poor taste to push a movie out about this Slender Man thing when there's like a real-life tragedy associated yep. with it. So as far as I know, the movie's got nothing to do with the actual uh, attempted murder that took place. But um, It's based on the urban legend. Yeah, it's based upon the urban legend itself, which, you know, it's, there's not much to it. It's, it's a scary-looking thing people photoshopped <laughs> into yep. pictures. So uh, not much there. Um, one movie I saw was Searching. I think that's what it's called. Have you heard of that one? I haven't heard of this. Actually, so uh, it's a it's about it's basically a, a crime mystery or sort of a, a uh, sort of a suspense film. The entire film takes place on a computer screen. The entire film. Uh, mm-hmm. It opens up with a guy with like Windows ninety five, and he's like 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 creating folders and setting up email addresses for his soon to be born daughter. Uh, and you see his computer like he upgrades the operating system over time, and they tell this entire story of his wife getting sick. I'm not spoiling anything. This happens in the first three minutes. His wife gets sick and dies, and you can and and so he's raising this his daughter as a single father, and then uh, and she goes missing, and then and the whole 
whole thing is him using his computer and other like uh, cameras and whatnot. It's sort of a almost a found footage type of style of film, but it is done remarkably effectively. It mm-hmm. is incredibly well done. I don't usually like those kind of movies. I think it's just a gimmick usually. Uh, th- this is a little gimmicky, but it is so well done and so well directed and so well acted. It is probably the best movie I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. It is just phenomenal. It's interesting we talk about that. That's sort of the movie using the modern tech. You know, we talked yeah. about it as to what it was. One, I'll throw but out not there. in a dumb way. <laughs> yeah, I'll throw out there and, and sort of using modern tech as conjunction with it was um, when we were in New York uh, a little while ago, we actually saw Dear Evan Hansen, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, a brilliant musical. I mean, stage musical that makes extremely good use of tech. Um, and the idea of, you know, there's scenes in it where they have something going viral. It literally goes digitally viral on stage. I mean, the stage gets taken over by digital posts. And it's one of those things where it's, cool. you know, it's a really cool way to do the, the musical. And it's one of those, I, I'd highly recommend that for anybody who's sort of into it. You know, I'm, I'm, I enjoy musicals um, a lot. I really like live stage shows in many respects. We are both theater nerds. So we have an Yeah, we are both for... theater nerds. Um, and that's one I definitely highly recommend. It's what I'd call a true musical. A lot of sort of more recent musicals are more like operettas, mm-hmm. you know, definitely approaching operas in many respects. That is not. that The songs are interspersed, you know, throughout te- throughout spoken dialogue. Mm-hmm. The, the songs are in some sense, interruptions. They are, you know, focuses as to what it is. There is a clear play, a plot in the background of what, again, what I call traditional yep. musical. But it's one I highly recommend. I, I think it was clear why it won the awards it did. <laughs> a side question. Would you consider Joseph and Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat an opera or a musical? So it, I think Andrew Lloyd Webber is the one who basically has the real transition question of does he write operas, does he write operettas, or does he write musicals? Yeah. And that's where it started. I think he he should be credited as Cats. That's where it started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Cats' success is part of why it did what it did. But I think the modern musical has much more music in it. You go back to something like Rodgers and Hammerstein, there's songs, yeah. and they're interspersed, you know, in conjunction with it. It's less a lot than of half acting. of the content. Of yeah. The, yeah. You know, there's a lot of just straight screen acting. Whether you see it as a movie, whether you see it as a stage show, like, you know, that type of thing. And I think that was the default of what a musical was up until that point in time. And in some sense, you can look at it and say that was what opera was. It was just unique because it was in English. Mm-hmm. And the song structure was more narrative than in many operas where they'll repeat the same things over and over and over again. You know, you go and you watch, you watch Cats, you watch Fan of the Opera, you watch sort of anything else that came out of that, Les Miserables, Miss Saigon in that era. The songs are all very narrative. They push the story mm-hmm. forward. Yep. Um, and you need the words of the song to understand them. Um, and I think that was a new take, but I think that's also what, in many respects, Broadway has become. I'm not saying it's bad. Um, in many respects, I think it's good yeah. um, as to what it is. It's interesting, but the it's also cool nice. to see them going back to what I consider to be a traditional musical structure. Uh, I mentioned uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. I saw that. If you like action movies, it's a good one. Yep. I don't think I liked it as much as most other people did, but I also have this. <laughs> I, I can't just sit down and watch a movie anymore. Like whenever somebody <laughs> makes, I don't know if you've seen these, but they have the the fake face machine that will make a rubber mask that you yeah. can wear over your face. So whenever they do that, I, I can't help but. I mean, you and I are both writers too. I can't help but notice what they're not showing you, yeah. which gives them room to 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 you know to to do the double cross later. So you know there'll, there'll be a scene where somebody enters a room and gets the mask machine out and scan someone's face and then the next thing you see is the person walking out and you're just supposed to accept that it's the person wearing the mask but they don't actually show you putting the mask on yeah so it's structured that way for a reason so like when things like that happen I'm like well I know where this is going so I don't I don't probably enjoy those too much because I'm, I'm too analytical about it and that's yep. just, that's my fault that's not you know, Tom <laughs> yeah. Cruise's fault uh, but it, it was a, a good movie great action uh, really well done 
I saw I saw skyscraper. Uh, it, it is what it is. It's it's a, it's a two out of four. Uh, <laughs> uh, check your brain at the door, dumb action movie, and it, it's good for that. But quite frankly, I have to say, and it's one of the other ones that I saw just recently was Jumanji, which also had the rocket. Th- I love that. And I loved the original Jumanji, and I really loved the reboot. And I have to say that you know I really thought it was a great movie. It's it was great, but part of it's because he does such a great job in the role he's given, yeah. which is basically for him to be him, except be an uncomfortable nerd at yeah. the same time. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, the, the plot is that this this nerdy uh, you know straight A student kid uh, gets sucked into a video game, and the character that he plays is is the Rock, is the Rock, Doctor Smolder Bravestone, Smolder Bravestone, you know, is, is a three hundred you know, mountain of muscle, <laughs> and then his his best friend, who's like captain of the football team, turns into um uh oh god what is what's his name? Yeah, you're escaping right now. Oh, I can't think of his name. Um, Jack Black. Uh, no, not no. Jack Black. He he he's the he's the, uh, the cheerleader girl. Yeah, he's the cheerleader. Um, uh, I cannot think of his name. Dan- yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll come up with it. Anyway, <laughs> it, it's it's excellent. Like basically, all these characters get put into the exact opposite role. The shy nerdy girl becomes the kung fu uh, kicking person. Yeah, uh, you know, killer the, of men. Yeah, the killer <laughs> of men. The you know the 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 pretty blondes on her phone all the time turns into Jack Black, <laughs> like a like a, a, a you know a pudgy scientist. Um, and then just the whole movie is them learning to deal with these new bodies. Yeah. And there's, it doesn't go into a lot of depth on that. It's played mostly for comedic effect. Uh, but they introduce some tension in the story through yeah. that. And it's uh, uh, Kevin Hart. Kevin that's Hart, it that's it. Yeah. Um, Although I have to say, the, 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 the true thing in that, and I said, the, the reason I think that movie really sells it is, quite frankly, The Rock proves he can actually truly act yeah, in no, that movie. Well I mean, done. he really does. Even though it's a specific role and it's a specific unique form of acting, he does such a great job of being nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a great scene where like, he hears something and he's like, I'm allergic to everything here. Don't have my Claritin. <laughs> uh, you know, those kind of things. I think that was a sort of great comment with it, too. Uh, I mentioned I watched the Jack Ryan series. Uh, also good. I kind of lost him towards the end. Um, but uh, it was just sort of a... Uh, a short miniseries to, to, to reboot the franchise yep. basically and get this started um, my wife and I finished The Americans have you watched that one at all? I think I watched a couple of the episodes of it. I thought it was a cool concept but I never got into it, it the first couple seasons were really good it kind of dragged in the middle and then the the very last season was really good mm-hmm. um, we, we kind of got partway through the second to last season and lost interest and then we heard that it finished really strong so we came back and finished it uh, good series if you haven't caught that it's about um, they're called illegals which you know has other connotations now but at the time they were Soviet spies who were trained to speak flawless unaccented English planted the United States and given a backstory as like a married couple uh, they actually had kids and lived and worked and, and then carried out the secret spy life which apparently really happened I guess yeah it didn't really happen uh, but it's a story about them and how they. I mean, it's basically a, a work family balance type movie, except your parents are are spies that murder people. So yeah. uh, it's it's there's a lot of, of dramatic tension. Really good, finished strong. So if you haven't catched that, caught that one, uh, do the other one. I just started. I'm two episodes in. Is Maniac? Have you heard of this one? No, I haven't even heard of this one. So. It's got uh, Jonah Hill uh, st- plays a, a schizophrenic um, who is part of – and it takes place in like the late 70s or early 80s. It's not clear where, but it's an alternate reality. It's a late 70s and early 80s that has modern social media but without the internet or cell phones or anything. So like – so one of the characters goes to a, a, a liquor store to buy cigarettes and she doesn't have any money. And she goes, I'm going to pay with an ad buddy, which means that a guy walks up with a suitcase full of ads and reads them to you for half an hour to bombard <laughs> you with advertisements. And then they pay for your cigarettes for you. <laughs> and they're like, and so you go to the subway and you just push the button for ad buddy, and here comes a guy and sits on the subway and reads stuff to you the whole time. And there's even like comments in the show about how don't do the ad buddy thing. The more that you do that, the more they learn about you and they'll start like like really messing with your brain. 
It's really interesting. There's also like a commercial place called uh, Docs, D-O-X, where you can go to okay. and just pay them to blackmail somebody for you. <laughs> it's all above board, which is kind of like doxing online. So the the setting is really interesting and, and really bizarre. And I'm, I'm only two episodes in, but it's definitely got my attention. It's it's it's. I don't want to get into the plot too much because I don't really fully understand what's going on. It's got Emma Stone is in it. She's good yep. too. Um, really interesting concept. Really, It's the 80s aesthetic again, but then you're transplanting the modern realities of how the modern economy works online into a non-online world. And it's yep. just it's just weird, but it's it's really got my attention. That's really kind of a cool concept. Yeah, actually, interestingly enough, I've not managed to watch a bit of stuff. Um, I've started watching The Clone Wars from Star Wars, the, the animated sort of between the things. The thing that I'm most of the way through season one now, the thing that I think is very interesting about it is I'm actually surprised of the quality. Um, is the, it the animation? Or? No, the actual surprising quality of the writing. These are actually really? relatively good plots. They're very, they're very short, self-contained. They're half-an-hour episodes, you know, obviously as to what it is. But And some of them are a bit jumpy as to mm-hmm. the way they go. Like, between two of them, there's no real connection as to why we're going from point A to point B. Sort of the old syndication model. Um, yeah, but it's one of those things where it's, you know, I think most of them have very interesting plots. They're trying to sort of focus on things. And they're really developing the character. The, the most interesting character in it right now, quite frankly, is the relationship between Anakin and Ben. That was the missed opportunity of this yeah, we never got to see that um, develop. And the one, and I've heard from people who said it, and they've said that for the fact that it's one of the important, really aspects of the Clone Wars is between Ben and his Padawan, uh, or sorry, between Anakin and his Padawan, and that's a very interesting interaction because she definitely shows aspects of his personality but also sort of lacks a few of the extremes and that comes across it a couple times and so it's a really thing where you can see this is going to end badly it makes you wonder <laughs> if maybe the the, missed, the problem with the prequels is it was essentially a character study of a character that's not really that interesting yeah. you know and that you'd be better off um, developing that over the course of a television format yep. but at the time when Lucas made those the TV serial format didn't really exist the way it does now or you could just make a bunch of stuff and dump it, you yeah. know. What you talked about before, too, is a whole other topic we should talk about is how the the way digital distribution is changing how we watch TV yep. now. And there's another sort of one, the other one uh, I've taken, so my wife's actually taken to it, and I'm, I can't remember the name of the show. It's the one that's essentially using the, the crowd to solve crimes. Um, so basically there's a web page and it's all based upon the things and it's they, they post up things about crimes and they try to get information from the network crowd. Show? Is it on yeah, it's a network show? Yeah, it's one of the network shows and I literally cannot think of what the name of it's called right I now. I've heard of that one. Um, but it's a really intriguing concept. It's one of those where anybody who's a true computer geek, you got to take a bit of a step back from the technology yeah. um, because there's times in it when it's like, wait, they couldn't do that. But it, it's just kind of a cool concept of the idea of using modern technology. And again, I don't really watch it. My wife watches it so I see a number of the episodes and you know, I've been mm-hmm. sucked in occasionally of sort of like, oh, what's going on in this? This is kind of an intriguing concept. Like, where's this thing going um, but yeah mostly if I'm going to watch it the one I would definitely recommend of things I've seen recently I don't think we've mentioned it on the show that I saw again on an airplane is Ex Machina that is good that movie is is my mind quite frankly brilliant yeah. um, you know, as to what it is it's you forget you're watching the two characters from Star Wars it's got yeah. Oscar Isaacs and uh, uh, Donald Gleason. yeah and I mean, I, I, I kind of thought that would be distracting when I saw it. Uh, never once did yeah, it not cross at my all. mind. Um, you know, so the thing that I, I really commented about that movie and the thing I really liked about that movie is, one, keep in mind a little bit when it was made and yeah. what has come out since then about social media, yes. about AI and things like that. And it's it predicted it. And it predicted it very well. And as you discover as you get further and further through the movie, it predicts it in a very, very horrifying fashion. Um, and it's, it's basically about whether a machine can pass the Turing test. Yes, it's whether a machine can pass the Turing test, but it's also the idea of whether a machine can pass the Turing test knowing it's a machine. Yeah. 
Can it convince you anyway that it genuinely feels emotion? That it generally feels emotion. And that the, the way it's presented, the way the movie plays out, the concepts behind it, and the interactions of what does it mean to think. Yeah, that's um, good. Is an extremely sort of brilliant presentation as to what it is. And again, it's a movie that when it's done, you can't sort of stop and go, wait, I feel like I have to watch this again because I missed things. Yeah. Uh, but that's a movie I would highly recommend. I know it had been recommended to me, you know, sort of repeatedly. I, again, I saw it on an airplane, so I watched it. Did you so. see the 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 one they made about Turing developing uh, the machine that breaks um, uh, the, the German code? What was yeah, it called? Um, uh, Enigma. Enigma. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah. Um, I forget what it's called. Yeah, I think I you recommended that to me. Yeah, I've definitely seen yeah. that movie. I loved, I liked enjoyed that movie when it came out. There's some issues and how it breaks the code. Yeah, I think they the overemphasize his his spectrum tendencies. Well, and, and it's also the the they they have to crush together certain events which yeah. occur, you know, in, in breaking the codes. Yeah, you gotta like do that. that for narrative purposes. Yep. Speaking of Star Wars, uh, there's a new TV series coming out, The Mandalorian, yeah. or something like that. I don't know any much of anything about I, it. I just I just saw it this morning when I sat down, and I didn't get a chance to dig yeah, into it. It may even just be rumor for all we know at this yeah. point. But there's also a, a rumor that Palpatine's gonna have uh, an appearance in Episode Nine. Well, the actor has been cast. Oh, the actor, maybe is that what it is? Yeah, the, the actor's been cast. There's been a statement that he's going to appear. I think as a flashback, as a hologram. Is it? Okay. Okay. In something that, that so there was some kind of a leak. That Mark Hamill's also cast, so I assume he's going to be a Force ghost or something. But the, the, presumably, yeah, they need Although to have him as a Harrison Force ghost. Harrison Ford was cast for Episode Eight and wasn't in it, so yeah, yeah. 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 There's always it the possibility be a head of just you know, hey, uh, Billy D. Williams is confirmed. I'm very <laughs> excited about that. And yeah. uh, Carrie Russell, speaking of the Americans, she was in that. Uh, is supposed to be in the Episode Nine as well. So I'll have to kind of keep. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see sort that. of what happens with Episode Nine as we t- as we switch back directors. You know, what gets kept, what gets changed. How is and quite frankly the 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 controversy surrounding Rose? Is there going to be an effect associated with that? I really hope not. I hope they don't let the outside world seep into the story. Yeah, I'm you know, hoping just they tell don't. Tell the story either. you want to tell, and you, you know. know and I've, I commented about. It, I think I even said it in the episode right after I saw episode eight. Like Rose was my new hero. Like at the I end of it, Rose. I loved Rose. I thought she was a fantastic I wish character. I had more of her. Um, I would love to see more of her. I think the the relationship between her and and Finn right now is a little bit awkward. I think yeah. it's supposed to be, but yeah. it, it, the question is, is where do they go with it? I and mean, some of the things they had her do didn't make any sense, but that's not the actress's fault. The character's yeah. fine. You know? Yeah, and I thought she was a great character. I thought she was a really fun character, and I think it's something you can really do. So yeah, I thought that was great. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we're gonna we're, we're at our hour. In fact, we're over, so we're gonna move along. So uh, plans for the next couple of episodes aren't completely firmed up. We do have uh, an outline spec'd out for the next one, but whether this is actually the next episode or comes later, the order we're not sure of. But uh, we are gonna talk at some point about football. <laughs> Nerds, Wait, don't tune is, out. Yeah, yes, don't, don't stop, nerds. Don't this tune is out. Not a, this, this may hey. not sound like a geeky topic, but we're going to nerd it up. Uh, and, and anyway, I would argue the line between jock culture and nerd culture is just about gone now. I'm really into, yeah. into like college sports and whatnot, and the nerdiest people I know are sports fans. Well, and part of this, quite frankly, is fantasy. It the is, fact that we football. have now changed sports viewing from viewing an actual sport to it. And the thing, if you guys haven't encountered it, it's one of the ones, and I know we're going to talk about it um, in the next episode. I'm sort of fascinated with this idea of your play football, if you guys know that app, which literally allows you to be a coach and mm-hmm. have a real football team that is playing a real game. Yeah, that's going to be um, cool. We'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're into sports at all now, you know that the big sports fans are really into, like, the analytics and the data and whatnot. I never thought I'd see the day where where the most ma- most math competent people I know are, are all the sports people, but that's where we're at. Um, so we're gonna, but we're going to talk about uh, video games actually. More specifically, a video game you can no longer buy due to legal disputes. I think originally over rights of publicity, uh, and it morphed into sort of an antitrust uh, type of case. 
Um, so that's coming up next. And then, uh, either, you know, at some point, we're also going to get our, or try to get our IP law professor on to talk about. We're not sure what we're thinking, maybe big data issues. Uh, we'll kind of let him decide what he wants to talk about. Yep. But so that's the thing. And we're definitely looking at the idea. We know our guest episode, guest episode was popular last year. We're looking at trying to bring some more guests. That's one of the areas, definitely, uh, for people to comment. If you have peop- you know, topics you would like to hear something about, um, particularly if you think it's something where a guest would be valuable for yeah. us to bring in that's an expert outside of our expertise, um, definitely let us know that in comments on social media, stuff along those lines. We'd love to, to, to potentially do that. Um, as well as if you know, we are starting a new season, we have a whole blank slate in front of us. We have a list of potential shows, uh, you know, the length of our arm. But if there are particular things you would like to hear more about, please let us know. One, because we may be able to incorporate that into a show we're already mm-hmm. designing. Or quite frankly, if we think it's interesting enough, we may just create a show around it. Yeah, or if you've got prior topics we covered, I think our first our first maybe dozen episodes were a lot shorter. I think at the lot, end of a lot of those, we said, well, we could talk about this for another hour. Uh, we may yet go back and do that. So yep. there's a lot more to say. All right. That's it for today. There's the music. It's time to go. If you have questions, comments, topic ideas, criticisms, complaints, remarks, adulations, or rants, you can send your thoughts to us on Twitter at LGGpod or email us at LGGpodcast at gmail.com. You can also talk to us on our Facebook page, search for Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, and find us there. Subscribe to this podcast on one or more of the platforms. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and other places where you can get your podcast content. If you like what you hear, please give us a review. Reviews are a great way for uh, others to find us they help with the search engine optimizations and all those sort of things as you said at the beginning you can find me on twitter at benjamin siders and kirk is at kirk dmn that's all for today we'll see you next time lorem play us out the views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by lewis rice llc its officers directors employees agents representatives shareholders and subsidiaries none of the content should be considered legal advice as always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded at Cool Fire Studios in St. Louis, Missouri.